Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanderers of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Three Protectors, and Kadoja. And I'm Gary Hodges. I am the creator, writer, and artist behind Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots. Hell yeah, you guys are. You guys are doing all those things. All right, so hey, this is a new episode. This is a new week. We are drinking beers as we do every episode. Uh, let's go. F- uh, Gary, you are the guest. Let's go with you first. What are you drinking this week? I am nursing a Goose Island Bourbon County uh, stout aged in bourbon barrels. Oh, shit. That's a week old. <laughs> I've just been sitting here for a week waiting. No, it, it, and it's uh, 14.6%. It punches. It punches. Okay. But it's delicious. So that's what I'm that's what I'm enjoying. Excellent. You might think it's 6% from the flavor. <laughs> you might. You might some people have assumed it was 6% from the flavor. Some people. Some people might they think were it's wrong. They were wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of crazy because Despite the fact that it's been a week. And I know this is weird. I'm still buzzed from the beer I drank a week ago. I am too. I am. It's crazy. Yeah, about a week it's ago. crazy. Um. But 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 not but but because I am here for quality content and to service the listeners. I'm following up a bourbon barrel stout with Whoa. Bourbon. Oh shit. So okay. what I have here, I am not drinking this bottle. Actually, the amount missing in this bottle is what I'm drinking, <laughs> which is a, a a very reasonable amount on the old rocks. This is first call bourbon, uh, double oak, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This is 45% alcohol by volume. So it's it's the year end. It's a celebration, to quote Rick James. It's a celebration. So let's celebrate. Let's Let's have a little bourbon here. So I've got I've got a nice glass, and um, I will chase that with a whole lot of water. Now I learned late in high school, liquor before the beer. You're in the clear. Like that was that was the that was the mantra, right? You're doing it actually wrong. So 18 year old Gary is popping out of a time portal and saying, "What the hell are you doing?" And and I would tell 18 year old Gary. Or even 18-year-old Gerald. <laughs> this is adults doing adult shit, right? That's and 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 we're we're look, we're about quality content. I don't care about the cost. And the cost is I may not feel great tomorrow. Or a week from now when we record again. I'm not even sure how time works anymore. All right. Well, 18-year-old Gar- Gary would say, uh, I'm sorry, sir. And just go back in the time portal. Absolutely. See, that's the thing. Like when you're, and, and, and we all get that now, right? That like when you're, when you're older, you could just sort of puff your chest up to an 18 year old and they're going to be like, oh, wait, that's an adult. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very nice. Uh, good choices by you guys. So I don't know if you guys could see this, but I have Charles Barkley on my can. Or a nice approximation of what someone looks like uh, with uh, Charles Barkley with a Santa Claus hat. Saint Barkley. So it is Saint Bernard's Christmas Ale. Um, It ain't fucking around. It's 9.8 ABV, strong Belgian beer, product of Belgium. Product of fucking Scott up. Um, So, yeah, it's only a 12-ouncer. So 
you know, hey, it's small but mighty. You can get this at your local Trader Joe's, I think. I don't know how long these are going to be around. This is definitely a Christmas ale. So by the time you guys listen to this, uh, it might not be December anymore, but it might be. I don't really know. I don't know yeah. how it works. Scott, quick question. Yeah. Is it theirs? Is St. Bernardus actually a Trader Joe's beer? Oh, that's a good question. I have no fucking clue, man. Um, if it was made in San Jose, the answer is probably yes. It is not. It is canned in Nevada. Okay. It is brewed and canned by Brewery St. Bernard, Nevada. Trappist in the Voig. Go ahead and try to figure that shit out. All right. All right. So those are them beers. We got the beers. Here's what we're doing. It is the year-end episode. This happens once a year, every year. It's the thing you guys wait for. It is the thing that makes this show different than every week that we do this show because, hey, we have a structure. But we also have a structure to the year-end show, and that's us talking about the things that we loved this year. So it is not solely the things that were released this year. It's stuff that we discovered. So keep that in mind when we bring this the, these topics up, the things that we love the most this year. It might not necessarily be something that came out this year, but it's something we discovered, or it might be something that actually did come out this year. So, hey, we're going to find out. Um, why don't we start with our guest of honor here, Gary? So we're going to be talking about your favorite comic of the year 2023. Oh, favorite. We're going with favorite comic. We're jumping all the way. It is. It, it's a comic show. So I figured, all hey, right. why not? All right. Let's start with right. the favorite just... comic of the year. That's the thing that makes sense. And um, yeah, I think it's a good one to start off with. Let's open with best picture. Um, okay, so <laughs> this is a comic that um, I have to admit a lot of people have been telling me over the years that I should read. And I mean, you, you know how it is. People are always coming at you saying like, you should read this, you should read that, you should watch this, you should watch that. It's overwhelming. Joshua Kemble especially has been saying like, you really should read this book. It's right up your alley. And I think it's what you're trying to do with D versus M. Like it, it's, it has a similar sensibility and that is, uh, I read it and I loved it and I saw exactly what he meant. It's Jason Lutz's Berlin. Uh, mm. this is one fat M effort. I mean, it is, uh, I think let's look at the page count here, uh, for people who are unfamiliar, it is, I'm sorry, uh, like about. Yeah, like 550 pages. Nice. Uh, Berlin describes the rise of the Nazi party in Germany pre-World War II. And what's interesting about it to me, and this is why I think people have been telling me for years, you should read this book because uh, they knew with D versus M, Dinosaurs versus Mars Bots, the way I'm telling this story about alien invaders and dinosaurs being recreated by the government to fight them off and this kind of ridiculous B-movie premise. It's all in the background. And what's in the foreground are the character studies, how this whole crazy event is affecting real people on the ground. That is how Jason Lutz uh, approaches Berlin. Uh, it is the rise of the Nazi party from the street or gutter level. It's how the average everyday German is experiencing this historical phenomenon in the background. And it is fascinating. 
and it's powerful. And he is, uh, I'm so impressed with his writing. There were many times when I was reading this where I forgot that ostensibly the whole point of this is the rise of Nazism in Germany. And you get lost because you're lost in these little individual stories little love stories, little uh, personal stories of these characters where you forget like, oh, the reason we're actually here is to watch this country sort of fall apart from the inside. But but you, you forget because you're so in love with these characters he's written. It's really a remarkable, remarkable book. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. It's L-U-T-E-S. It's been around forever. Uh, you know, if, if people who are more into the graphic novel scene i'm sure this is they're they're more appalled that i haven't read it until now <laughs> but if you haven't i would highly recommend it especially if you're interested in really good character work i really loved it they will continue to be appalled because i also have not read it keith have you read well this there book? you go yeah it's uh now I, I can do what everyone was doing for me you should read this book it's it's yeah. worth it all right it's worth sounds it. amazing going on the sounds list amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a soft spot, and I'm not even kidding. I have a soft spot for fiction um, or even nonfiction about totalitarian regimes. So, you know, North Korea, uh, Stalin, Russia, you know, the the bad, the dark times of Germany, like some really interesting reading out there. So, yeah, man, number one on my list now. I also yeah, have it's a- great. It's really worth it. And if you liked, I mean, this is a strange comparison to make, but you'll get it if you read it. If you liked Andor, you'll like the Berlin. Like it's that nice. kind of like, what does that actually feel like to be in the midst of this? And I think mm, that's sounds what amazing. both those pieces of work do that very well. And it's what I try to do with D versus M, which is why, like I said, I think everyone was saying like they would read D versus M. It's like you've got to read Berlin. It's a, it's mm-hmm. it's very much the same sensibility. I also have a soft spot. It's on top of my head, um, Keith. <laughs> What is your favorite comic of 2023? Yeah, so, I mean, we we talked about this in the lead-up to this episode, that we might take some liberties with runners-up. And so for runners-up, my runner-up is actually a book that started in 2022, but ended at the beginning of 2023, which is um, Night of the Ghoul. That is the Scott Snyder written book, of course, because it's me. I can't remember who the artist is. But Night of the Ghoul was a three-issue limited series that I loved and still love. It it involves, it centers around an old horror movie that sort of, it's like a found piece of old movie that documents kind of like an actual horrific thing. And it just continues to unravel from there. Again, there's this, there's this, another soft spot of mine is these subgenres about like lost films or cursed films or closed movie studios, closed lots, those kind of things. And this really ties into that. So Night of the Ghoul is collected as a, a, collected as a graphic novel right now. So if it's the kind of thing people want to check out, I, I do recommend it. I, I loved it. Um, and the artist, not my... artist on that book yeah. is Francisco... Francovia. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, great book. Again, it's got that, that lost Hollywood horror thing to it. So again, loved it, but it's not my book of the year. My book of the year is art brute by, uh, uh, by, 
W. Maxwell Prince and uh, oh boy, I don't know his first name, but his name is Morazzo. So let me take a look. Here. Mm. I got the I got the issue one right in front of me here. Uh, Martin Morazzo. Um, this so this is a four issue limited series. I I just think it was the most refreshing original idea of 2023, and it's not even close. So Art Brute is a person who paints and then inhabits the paintings. And he has like a reference wooden mannequin. And once in, so it's kind of like Sandman, like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, except instead of the dreamscape, it's about the world of the paintings. So they will go into paintings and then they are in the world of the paintings and they are trying to figure out what is happening inside the world of the paintings. I loved it. Um, it's four issues. I'm sure it's collected by now, but I have the, the issues and, uh, and like, it's, it's fun. And what really enhances the fun is when you get to the end of the main story, there's a backup story that's sort of done in this retro, like 60s, 70s style about like the past adventures of Art Brute and how they go back and solve some of these like mysteries about painting. So the overall plot is that sort of the paint world, the art world behind the canvas is starting to deteriorate. And they're trying to figure out what's going on to solve that. So I can't say enough good things about it. I love it. But to, to even enhance that more, there is, you know, like, it's one thing to love something. And it's another to get a little tidbit on one of the pages where it hits you so well, you're like, oh, yes, you understand stuff, you know. And so there's a there's an interchange here where two characters are talking and 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 the one character is talking about making paintings and he says, that's what happens when you try to make something. You want it to be so perfect. But everything you do is just a betrayal of your hopes for the thing. Stuff comes out wrong. It can drive you crazy. That that's is the experience right there. That right, is. like it's, it's one thing to have an amazing four-issue series. It's another to bake in just some of these little jewels about the creative process that just make you go like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. So again, Art Brute, it's amazing. I am almost certain it's collected in a graphic novel right now. Highly recommend it, my comic of the year. Yeah, I, I've written it down. That sounds great. I grabbed issue one when it came out. I was like, oh, this looks interesting because it had a... Um, there was a bunch of variant covers and one of the variant covers was art brute painting spawn number one on a giant canvas. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I picked it up. I enjoyed the art style. I was like, yeah, why not? It was a, it was a, sh a slow week. And so I had time to, or space to dabble in some other stuff and I really enjoyed it. And I had just missed issue two. I didn't know when issue two came out and on the shelves, there was only issue three, and I was like, oh, fuck, I missed the second issue. I'm not going to pick up issue three, and which which I find to be a mistake. I should have just grabbed that in issue four mm -hmm. and then just search for issue two. So, But I did enjoy it as well. And, um, yeah, so I, I need to track those down, the rest of those issues. Uh, thanks for reminding me. So a really fantastic book. Okay, so my comic book of 2023. So in this episode, we are going to abuse the runner-up. And I've even gone to the point where I'm doing like categories um, inside of each one. And uh, hey, it's our podcast. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Um, so mm -hmm. my runner up is my two books 
are basically tied for number one. Uh, the one that would, I guess, would essentially be cover, uh, considered a runner-up is Savage Dragon. Because the reason why I'm saying that is the volumes that I was reading was from anywhere between 2006 to 2010. So these are very old books, but I've been collecting them sporadically and piecing together the series. I've gone far enough. I've gotten far enough in the series where I have the majority of the issues. So I was like, all right, let's just start banging these things out. So to the point where, like I was, like I said, you know, in the previous episode was I took days off to just read because the story was so, so um, just, I don't know, drawing me in. Like with every single issue, I was like, I have to read the next one. I have to read the next one. What the fuck is going to happen? The series is so crazy. And also something we mentioned in the last episode was, um, compressed and decompressed storytelling. Eric Larson is a creator that was raised essentially in compressed storytelling. A lot of the Savage Dragon issues, they conclude in one to two issues, but there's a continuous thread that moves the story forward. It's like, okay, this is the end goal, but in this issue, these things happen and it just pushes the narrative forward for those, ep- those issues. And, um, so many things going on in that issue, uh, in that series in general, was just fascinating because what Eric Larson was doing was essentially going through his childhood with all the different types of comics he read and incorporating that into one series. You know, there was tons of romance. There was tons of tons of like sci-fi element to it. There was grand ground level and you just bake all of those things into this one series. And the fact that you can make them work was just endlessly fascinating to me. Like you, you get to, live essentially the the life of this character because the savage dragon character in in this book every year the character ages a year so the the you come to find out in the story that in savage dragon number one he's 30 years old he doesn't know he's 30 years old because he's he has insomnia right like or not insomnia i have insomnia but he has amnesia and um so he doesn't know how old he is he doesn't know where he came from none of those things over time, you get bits and pieces of his history and his story, and he finds out how old he is. He goes, oh, shit, I'm 55. And he goes, oh, all right, well, you know, that's what that is. And and he ages as the story goes on. And that's just not something that usually happens in superhero comic books. You don't get an aging character. The character is ageless because you want to keep them alive as long as possible and make as much money off of them as possible. So um, Eric developed – Eric Larson – developed this this method for this character this the storytelling like to me that is endlessly fascinating and honestly if m- this other book didn't exist that would have 100 percent been my comic book of the year since it was like me rediscovering the series since i was a uh, you know younger man um the comic book of the year was started off i believe at the end of 2022 or at the beginning of 2023, honestly, I can't remember, but that's Local Man. It is one of my favorite books because it is a flip book. On one side, it is 100% a Rob Liefeld-inspired 90s extreme comic book. When you flip the book over, it is the life of one of those characters now, what his life is like now. And it is so the flip side is drawn like Rob Liefeld extreme style. You flip it over. It's a very modern, normal style, like a slice of life style. And 
he's been this character has been essentially rejected from the group he's been gone from the group from some for some time now and it is his life going back to where he started which was a small town a very very small town where he was the local hero and now he's kind of the piece of shit and so everyone hates him and he's like this ex-former uh, superhero that everyone looks down on so um it's it's a fantastic series i think they're up to issue seven now and uh, yeah so so now that i think about it you know it has to have been released this year and i absolutely love it it's endlessly fascinating to me and um you know like the most recent issue had some great storytelling where the hero is drugged and he reacts accordingly like and and the way they use comics to show you how he's drugged is quite amazing i was like this is great this is great this is only something you could do in comic books and uh, I love it for it. So if you guys haven't seen it or read it, check it out. You've piqued my interest. I definitely want to check it out. And it's funny because you've been talking about Savage Dragon on the pod, I feel like for a few months now. Like this has been kind of the thing of like, I'm going back to Savage Dragon and I want to complete Savage Dragon, you know, like all this stuff. And I have to admit, confession time, I've never read a single issue and you've actually sold me on savage where i feel like i kind of want to seek this out now i want i want to see what this is about because i've heard about it over the years but i've never it's just one of the many comics you've heard of but you've sort of sold me on the the premise yeah what's cool about it right now um i wish they were further along because it's been around for so long is he's now doing ultimate editions which are very similar to the invincible um uh, right fuck uh, there those those are my invincible mm. books so they're essentially 12 issues in one and it's a great way to read a comic book because you get a full scope of the year of the life of that comic in one trade yeah. so uh he has two ultimate editions out now and it's kind of the early life of this character which took place in the 90s so you know you can just be aware that's the time frame that this book came out, but it was unanimously like the best image comic. They're like, this is the best one. Like this is clearly the best one. The storytelling is very clear. The art is very beautiful. And uh, it's this nice progression of this character. And it's like, you really just follow along. And uh, again, it's compressed storytelling. You get a lot of information quickly and he's not writing for the trade at all. He's writing to get shit done. And like, he's a Kirby guy. He, and, and so like there's, there's the undercurrent of that. And as the series goes on, it just becomes stronger and stronger where you have kind of his natural style mixed with all of his influences. And it's just, it's nice because you get to see the character evolve and you get to see Eric's art evolve at the same time. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. That's for sure. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So that is the comics. Um, all right. So these kind of go hand in hand. I wanted to make sure all three of these were together. So we're going to go with best artist of the year. Um, so Gary, who did you find to be the best artist for you this year? Uh, so my pick is, and I, or favorite. I'm I taking my favorite. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking my bet. Yeah. And all also, by the way, we said this on the outset, but I'm going to have to say this, I think throughout, I encountered these this year. None of these, I think, are from this year. A few of them are, but not many. 
Um, I'm going to take my best shot at pronouncing this name. I have no idea if this is the right way to pronounce it. Uh, Gao Tanabe. Uh, he's a manga artist and writer. He did HP Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. Uh, it's a two-volume set. I have it right here. Um, oh, oh shit, look at that. Look at that. As does you mean this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As does yeah, Banana Foster over there. Yeah, so yeah, Banana um, Foster's got it. <laughs> you know what? I uh, I forgot why I picked. This is actually very, very, very early research into D versus M number five, which I've always nicknamed to people as my cosmic issue. It's the one where we're gonna do like a little bit. My my playing with cosmic horror, just one little comic of cosmic horror. And I thought, well, you know, no time like the present to start doing my homework. Um, let's check out at the mountains of madness by this guy. I was totally unfamiliar with this artist, this creator before. Um, not the greatest translation, Keith, you might agree. Uh, not it's, you know, it, it, but when it comes, we're talking about the art. Mm -hmm. I found the art, phenomenal and i i had the same reaction to it that i had to my akira collection that you have right back here where you open it and you realize oh they're playing in a totally different league like this is this, this is not what i'm doing <laughs> this is not any other artist i know you know what we're doing they're operating a different level now Kind of like someone who's juicing, if we're going with this analogy of leagues, we should add the asterisk of, my understanding is that this is a little bit of a, when it comes to any kind of manga, a little bit of a sweatshop kind of operation <laughs> where you might have like teams of people yes. being paid very poorly, working ridiculous hours. Mm -hmm. I, I'm That's the asterisk, okay? Fully appreciate that. That being said, gorgeous there are artists kind of like uh the infamous scott lost who are not excited to do backgrounds go tanabe and or his team make sweet sweet love to backgrounds mm -hmm. he loves backgrounds and it shows there are backgrounds in this that are as good as any ink drawing i've ever seen they're just really really staggeringly beautiful um and at the Mountains of Madness is a good one to draw. Like you really need to lean into the landscapes. Like you really, yeah, it, yeah. Keith is showing a little bit right now of uh, Cthulhu and a giant uh, nightmarish war with all these little, like the the time and the detail is ridiculous. Um, not only that, what I was very impressed by, the problem with Lovecraft, I'm sure Keith has a lot to say about this. It's a lot about seeing these organisms that you read as an organism, but are completely unlike any kind of or earth plant or animal that you can ever, you've ever seen or can imagine. Like it, it is clearly a living thing, but it's so other that it, confuses you that's lovecraft i mean that's a big part of it so that is a huge gauntlet thrown on like an artist it's like okay now illustrate what do you think that looks like i think he does an amazing job of drawing some of these lovecraftian creatures they are really 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 interesting to look at 
very, very thoughtfully uh, designed. And I'm staggered. I'm staggered by the accomplishment of this book. Uh, it blew my mind. It's very, very good. And I can guarantee you, I will be consulting this when I'm doing the next D versus M just for inspiration of how, how did, how did Go appreciate this, <laughs> you know, or approach this? How did he decide, you know, this is how I'm going to do this. Like, I, I think he's, he's great. He's amazing. Yeah, you shared a bunch of images in our group chat beforehand, which was awesome. Um, so, you know, like, hey, this is my favorite artist, and you shared uh, quite a few pages of it. And I was looking through, and I was like, fuck, this is really, really good. And, like, it took everything in my power to not order it on Amazon straight away. Um, it's just like, all right, I just had a giant vet bill, so I need to, like, chill the fuck out for a minute. Um, but it is definitely going on the list for something to pick up because those images are just as you described. Tons of detail per per page there, um, like the layers on top of layers. And, yeah, absolutely um, a lot of uh, mangaka. Um, they do have teams in which they have background artists and, and stuff like that. And I wish it was a little more acceptable in the States because I would definitely maybe think about that. Um, <laughs> especially if you can get someone like these guys that are, are doing the amount of detail that they are. Like uh, uh, Same thing with Katsuhiro Otomo. Um, I know he liked to do a lot of this stuff from, for himself. And I think, I think the mythos is he did everything, but there's also people are like, I was one of his background artists. So, you know, like mm -hmm. who knows how that really goes. Um, but you know, the thought process is, yeah, he had a team of people doing it. And then a lot of times those background artists graduate to become their own mangaka specifically just to them, you know, and they build their name and, and it's kind of like a tradition. Like you start off as an assistant and then you push forward and you become who you are. And then you also, then you have your assistants on top of that. So very cool. Yeah. I'm not shocked. Well, by the way, I, I learned this living with a classical musician. Also kind of the case with John Williams. John Williams apparently has a team of musicians, the composer, mm -hmm. a team of musicians that are working on, you know, uh, scores when he's hired to do a score. I mean, this is, it, it's, that is very much in keeping with how I think a lot of these things happen. But mm -hmm. nevertheless, whoever's doing it, I don't know if it's Tanabe, I don't know if it's somebody whose name I don't even know. A lot of these panels are some of the most amazing panels I've ever seen. So and, I had to name this. And, and from, from what I understand, it's like the main the main artist, the main mangaka, is the one that's doing the composition. He's the one orchestrating it all. So it's like, hey, I need you to draw this and this. Like this is the perspective on this. So they they're the ones yeah. that lay it out. And then he's the art director. Yes, and he's probably doing presumably doing the key art. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, Characters. this is what, uh, you know, a Cthulhuan creature looks like. Make it all look like this. Well, and then everyone mm -hmm. else is doing it. I think yeah. the main mangaka is the one that's in charge of the characters. And so his focus or her focus is solely on the characters. And then you have your background artists that match the scene, the, the angle, all of that stuff. All that right. would make sense to me. Yeah. All right, Keith, you are up, my friend. What is your... Yeah, yeah, I mean... Not a not a not a surprise because you know we did share our artists, but mine is Jeffrey Allen Love. So I'm not an artist. That much is clear for those of you that have been listening. Oh hell yeah, Gary, Gary oh, reversing shit. the Keith 
and he that. actually has he is holding up a Jeffrey Allen Love book. Um, so I have Jeez, a couple. Please. This one is Notes from the Shadowed City. And again, this just gives a vibe, right? Like this is sort of a book he did where he's doing a bunch of drawings, drawing on one page and then some sort of words around the drawing on the other page. And he just has this awesome, like textured, anatomically wrong, nightmarish feel to his stuff. You know, this is so that was Notes from the Shadowed City. This is his book, Norse Myths. Again, you can just sort of see this, you know, this this awesome like simplicity, this elegant beauty, this textured strangeness to what he does, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. just just a huge fan of his stuff, because for me, you know, again, no surprise, I, I like to feel my art. And, and that's why I like Jeffrey Allen Love so much, because without a doubt, I just I feel his art in a way that I have not felt someone else's art in a while. And so, you know, I've, I've tried to seek out some variant covers by him. He's, he's done a lot of variant covers recently. Um, but yeah, just such a, such a majesty to his stuff. And, and the image I dropped in the chat, which not in either of these books. And in fact, you have to search for it to find it. Uh, the single, like the single coolest image of Galactus I have ever seen. He has a picture yes. of Galactus and the Silver Surfer, which is incredible. It is the coolest Galactus image I've ever seen. Just monstrous, majestic, spooky, gigantic, ominous, all those things. He managed to capture that in Galactus in a way that just I've never seen before. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Galactus junkie, so... So for me, like to say that, it's like, oh, my God, just the coolest thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, Jeffrey Allen Love is amazing. I feel his art, and that's that's why I love him. Yeah, there's a texture. He he does a lot of silhouette work, but there uh, mm -hmm. there is a lot of texture to it. And then one of the last pieces that you had booked, Mark, and you were showing us as you were speaking, it was like – it was scratchy like a scratchy silhouette, but they had depth to it and you could actually see like the image of the face and everything. And so, yeah, it's mm -hmm. just a different technique on, on, um, you know, silhouetting and like scales to, to how much you want to use that in your work. So yeah, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, um, there's like a saying that goes is like, you want to be able to have, you want to be able to tell your character apart from other characters by the silhouette alone. Like if you can do that, that's like you've created something special. It's like, you know, if you can just draw the silhouette and everyone knows who your character is, like you've done something right. And so a mm -hmm. lot of his work, like you said, it's like the proportions aren't exactly – they're not one-to-one -one on humanity. But you can tell mm -hmm. where everything is. You can tell what everything is. And it's just his own proportions and it works very well. So very nice, like – like there's a, a Sienkiewicz vibe to it a little bit, you know, and like there's it's different, obviously, but there's something there that makes you think of Bill Sienkiewicz. That's for sure. That's a really good, a really good comparison, especially when it comes to like the spatter and the, you know, the mm -hmm. the um, physical media kind of feel for it. But I, I was going to say I'm going to coin a word here. There's something petroglyphic there's something kind of prehistoric about his yeah you should also define a word when you coin it but yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so a petroglyph everyone knows what a petroglyph is even nope. if you don't know the word 
it's like carvings of uh, people on like, like cave paintings, mm. things like mm. that. Okay. It has that kind of, there's something, uh, what I would say is sort of elemental about his work. It looks very, it's boiled down to the most basic kind of feeling of a, of a character or a, and a creature or whatever. I discovered him last year, actually. He might've been my pick for this year had I discovered him this year. But I'm a mm. great big fan, and I was uh, delighted to see that you picked him. Well, I'm I'm behind the eight ball on this. I need to get that book. Two, two out of three creators uh, recommend this. It's like de- it's like it's like toothpaste, <laughs> like Colgate, baby. Yeah, yeah, man. exactly. So yeah, um, definitely got to get on that. Excellent picks by you two. I went a little mainstream. This was actually Keith's. Um, you know, we talked about last episode. Keith's pick for the first year we did this was Daniel Warren Johnson. Daniel Warren Johnson is my pick this year. I it would be hard pressed for you to find an artist for me that's in the relative mainstream that makes me want to read their comic book first over Daniel Warren Johnson. Every time I pick up one of his books, it's on the top of the pile. It's like you're not reading anything else until you read that. That's the thing that you got to read, and then you can get to everything else when you do. And uh, I'm going to show you guys. So he's so this year alone, he's done Do a Powerbomb, Deadpool Black and White, Black and White and Red, and Transformers. So he's had a hot mm-hmm. year. He's been kept, he's keeping busy, and What's amazing about that is usually when artists get hot, there's a tendency to start to just do cover work. It's like, well, I'm getting the big bucks now, so I can just do the bare minimum and get paid top dollar. He's not doing that. He's leaning into the interiors and just doing random short stories, and he's doing his own titles. And now he's just doing a passion project, which is Transformers. He love, loves Transformers and the fact that Kirkman got the project or got the license for it, as well as the G.I. Joe license. He's now doing the main Transformers title for Skybound from, from Image Comics. Um, but I do have. This is the thing. This is one of the images um, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's doing, oh, there we go. You can see the scale of this image right here and how far this character is up in the air. And he's doing like a, a moonsault from the ring. Mm-hmm. And just the perspective of that is crazy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's like that's amazing. It's like a fisheye lens. But it's absolutely like as a former pro wrestler. So I'm showing them an image from Do a Powerbomb. And it is this yeah. great Scott Sasuke looking character. Uh, not Sasuke. Um, uh, Liger. A Liger looking character. Jushin Thunder Liger character. Doing essentially a springboard moonsault from the ropes to someone standing on the outside. The female lead, um, you know, in the first issue from on laying or on standing on the floor. And the perspective of it, it's a ground level shot with the the um, uh, Liger character flying through the air. And it's just so freaking amazing at the, the scale of it. And like something else that's really cool is he gets these weird moments and you can feel the impact of them. And they're just done at very interesting shots and angles. So there's, oops, sorry. So this, this panel here, this is, if you've ever been in a ring, you understand this. This is a fuck up. Like someone slipped 
and they fail they they fell in an angle that they're not supposed to fall in and like to see this image it's like oh that's legit that's legit how it would happen so for him to be able to catch the image of this character on the top kind of like oh shit she slipped and like him trying to recover and her landing at this extremely awkward angle. It's just, it's so beautiful to see. And he captures these moments, these in-between moments that aren't necessarily like the Marvel way of, of making comics. And they kind of make all the difference in the world. So, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with do a power bomb, you guys should definitely check it out. There's, like and then he, and like you know we talked about the previous episode there's a lot of manga and anime into what he does and so he's mm-hmm. not afraid to go extremely cartoony because if you look at that mouth that's like yeah that's not standard human proportion mouths but like that's a manga style mouth and um so he really leans into that with his work and the fact that he can capture movement the way that he does is extremely fascinating to me and um you know it's just like a guy in his prime just doing everything right and you're like how is he doing this you know you kind of want to get on that level and you know like gary talked about in the previous episode you look at guys like otomo and you go like there's levels to this like this is they're clearly on a different level than we are and how do you get there because sometimes the mountain to climb seems so high and when you look at daniel warren johnson's work it's like he kind of it's like this scratchy messy style but when you see like when you just like look at it you're like this is one of the best things i've ever looked at like it's it's nice to know that you don't have to have that mainstream style in order for you to be successful in comics you can have the style that you have is it's like something we said in the, on you know on past episodes you can, you can pull it off as long as you can pull it off and and goddamn he's pulling it off it it makes me Actually, I'm delighted that someone like him is having a moment, you know, that he's getting work because we can, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to be tasteless like that, but we, I've picked up mainstream books and you see the art in there and you think like, this is mediocre. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it, and it sometimes will bum you out and think like, can a great artist really get a lot of work these days? Can they really pay, like get a great artist to do some work these days? And then you see that he's getting work and you feel better about everything because I think he's amazing. And I like the fact exactly what you were saying. He's not doing things the Marvel way. He's not doing things the way that everybody else is doing it. And that's not hurting him. If anything, it's they're rewarding him for that. And it could, as far as I'm concerned, couldn't happen to a better guy. Yeah. Like I'm so glad that he's, he's, he's killing. Yeah. Because he deserves to. From what I understand, he's a really nice guy too. So yeah. Hey, that, that's even better. All right. So uh, we'll move on to comic writers. So your favorite comic writer of 2023, Gary, we'll start off with you. Okay. Well, so this is going to echo something I said before. It's very hard for me to separate comic of the year from writer of the year. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Jason Litz again uh, for Berlin. Not a book from this year. This is actually many years old, but I was extremely impressed with what he did. And I was, I'm always impressed in a comic and this came up with um, at the mountains of madness as well that are willing to be patient. Now that is vaguely narcissistic because I like to be patient with B versus M. I'm fine. Like, 
burning a panel on no dialogue and just looking at someone's facial expression or something. Like, I, I think that's worth it. I think that's a worthy moment. Uh, Jason Lutz absolutely thinks that when you read Berlin. Like I said, it's 550 pages because he takes his time. He takes his time and he allows these moments of character work uh, that sometimes you need some silence. Like sometimes dialogue is good, sometimes action is good, but sometimes you need just a moment to let it hang. And he's willing to do that. Uh, I think this was, to me, a very bold endeavor. Like if you're going to write a comic about the rise of Nazism in Germany in the 30s, there's a couple different ways I think most people would go. Most people would either do a very historical thing centered on Adolf Hitler. Uh, then other people would probably do a more stylized thing to kind of soften it a little bit and do like mouse, you know, something like that. Like find a way to kind of, you know, I don't know, massage it into people's palate. I think it's fascinating that Jason Lutz looked at this. He's like, I want to tell a story about this and how am I going to do it? Let's just pick random people from throughout Germany and follow them through like all the events of everything that's going on behind them. I, I think that's really interesting and really bold and, I have to imagine he probably spent a lot of years working on this with no reason to believe this was ever going to pan out. Like, and, and that impresses me as a writer. Have you done any research yeah. on it? Did he actually, like, did he contact people that lived through it? Or do you think he was just, um, you know, kind of just winging it and like, well, let me put myself in these people's perspective and what would they think? That's a good question. My understanding, I, I, I don't want to say this definitively, and, and anyone can fact check me, and if I'm wrong, I'm totally comfortable with that. My impression is, is the main characters in this are complete inventions. Mm. But in the background, he has historical figures. So it's a little bit like, um, what would be a good analogy? Lonesome Dove or something, where the main characters, I don't know if you're familiar with that Western, like... Uh, the main characters are completely invented, but everything going on around it is completely historical. I think Bret Hart was in that show. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead, Keith. Of course. Um, so, so two things. One, um, while I look forward to buying Berlin, it the 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 thing that I'm getting a vibe on Gary is it's almost like his version of People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, right? Like just taking yeah. this this ground level all yeah. these different people kind of going through stuff. Right. So that, that yes. sounds amazing. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was the idea of patience. Cause my debut novel, you know, coming out next year is, is about patience. You know, Jordan, like I, I think patient storytelling is the lost art. That's not so lost that people seem to love yet. There isn't enough of. And yes. so, you know, like, again, I think Jordan Peele is a great example of that. I have another example when we get to a category in a little bit. Right. And uh, and so it's it's about patient storytelling. So I can't wait. You know, like, I'm surprised I haven't ordered this already. But, uh, man, you're just you're just like playing all the notes that I like in a story. I'm all right. glad. I'm glad I can uh, sell one, one or two more copies for this guy. So, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna start picking up the pace a little bit because we're halfway through uh, our time frame here. But uh, Keith, you're comic writer of 2023. 
It's W. Maxwell Prince, just in the spirit of Gary. Because in addition to writing Ice Cream Man ongoing and Art Brute, we also saw Swan Songs, which is an incredible series. It's, I've only read the first couple issues, but it is also a great series. Swan Songs is a series where every issue is about an ending of some sort. So what, you know, for me, Scott was actually privy to, I, I think I gave a very polished up version of this rant on the episode, on, on one of the episodes, but Scott got, I think, a, li a little bit less polished. It was like, at a time where I am really, I'm almost sort of disillusioned with, I wish there were more original, unique stories being told in the comics medium. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of good ones, but I wish there were more. Uh, w maxwell prince is a breath of fresh air it's like the everything is inventive everything it's it's not even you know like sometimes you hear a story and you're like oh my god why didn't i think of that but w maxwell prince seems to write the kind of stories where it's like i didn't know the story could be told <laughs> you know like it's so refreshing and out of left field and it's like you know you're expanding the parameters of the kind of things that i think can turn into stories so Writer of the year. Love him. I think he's the best current writer going in comics right now. Just like really inventive, really cool stuff all around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you listen to the pod, you definitely heard Keith talk about W. Maxwell Prince um, with me as well. Um, and just like these guys, my comic writer, uh, it ties into my favorite comic of the year. It just makes sense. That's actually why I wanted to have comic of the year on top of the episode, because we couldn't talk about the comic writer because I that's just kind of how it goes. You know, it's not necessarily your favorite art in the comic, but if it's your favorite comic, you love the way it's written. That's just, those go hand in hand. So mine is Tim Seeley and Toby, Fle um, Tony Fleeks, um, who do local man and then runner up Eric Larson, you know, the inventiveness of that series by a comic artist, no doubt, um, is, is for me is super special. You know, there's some artists out there that write their own stories and, and you're just like, you might need a writer. Uh, Eric Larson isn't one of them. You know, he's one of those artists that you're like, yeah, you're fucking doing it, man. This is pretty killer and really intriguing. And I can't wait for the next issue. So um, definitely thumbs up to Tony, uh, Tim Seeley, Tony Fleeks, and then uh, Eric Larson. All right. So beer of the year, my guys, Gary, what is your beer of the year? You know what? I had a totally different one before we started these, and now I've got a name: uh, Goose Island Bourbon County, like bourbon barrel aged. I'm not even going to attempt to try and get the name right because it's 14.6 percent, and I've been drinking it for a little while here. But holy a week. cow, this yeah. is a, week. a champion! This, is, like, absolutely, this is my beer of the year. Awesome. That's that man again. That makes me so happy. Right. Because uh, it's it's like I, I kind of it's like I'm going to put it to the side because it's kind of the beer of my life. You know, like, I'm, oh, OK, not my life, because I first found out about my it. life. It, I just love my it. favorite beer, you yeah. know, so I can't. Uh, so while I give it the caveat that it's my favorite beer, I think I almost have to give app accolades to a beer that I have shouted out a couple times through the course of the year which is the Rice Krispie Boy. Uh, I got that through Tavor. It is just a crisp lager with a little bit of like a marshmallow finish. And uh, I like, it's it's one of those things of like, listen to yourself, Keith, because when I log on to Tavor, 
I always scroll to the bottom. Before I hear about any other beer, I always scroll all the way down to make sure I'm not missing out on a fresh order of Rice Krispie Boy. It's just a standard lager, but on the other hand, it's not just a standard lager. Because sometimes having that extra notch that makes your beer go from like an eight and a half to a nine or a nine and a half or a 10 or whatever, depending on preference, that's that's the money, right? So yeah, for me, it's like I'd, I'd almost be doing a disservice if I didn't give a shout to Rice Krispie Boy, which is, again, just I, I mentioned it through the year. I hope that I come across it again. And if I do, I'm going to buy far more than four cans if I have the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's a difference. Like, I mean, this category is for essentially shit you discovered. You know what I mean? So if you've had this this Goose Island forever and it's been your go to beer, it's it's not your beer of the year. You have it every year. It's it's, you know, um, you know, so for instance, I'll, I'll go into mine. Um, I love I love uh, Belching Beavers peanut butter stout. That's the shit. But on my it, like it's way better than this beer. But it's a comparison, but it's the one I discovered this year. This is a runner-up. It's the uh, All Hollows Treat Imperial Peanut Chocolate Peanut Butter Stout Brewery uh, Omagangang. That's on there for the runner-up. But I like Belching Beavers better. But I discovered Belching Beaver years ago, so it's not new. It's you know, it's not nothing for this year. But I, I have to repeat, Gary, I'm going with the Goose Island. Because this this category yeah. actually was a struggle for me. It was the one that I was going back and forth with. And I'm like, well, I really did like that chocolate peanut butter stout. But again, I'm like, it's not better than the, the Belgian beaver peanut butter stout. But I discovered it this year and I like it a lot. And then the other thought was uh, Fin du Monde. I love Fin du Monde. It's fantastic. That was actually going to be my beer of the year. So that is now actually my runner up because – yeah, this mm. this Goose Island ain't fucking around. You know, 14.6, it went down smooth. It's the perfect time of year for it. Um, yeah, I agree. And once Gary said that, I was like, yeah, that's 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 mine too, actually. Like, I, I did awesome. like that better than the other two overall, just in general, you know? So, um, yeah. Hell awesome. yeah. Good show. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I was able to introduce you both to it. And to the listeners out there, hey, it might still be in your local beer store. It's it's the first. It's your first. It's your last. It's your everything. It's the fear that it's it's the beer that gave bourbon barrel stouts a thing. They it made bourbon barrel stouts a thing, right? So so cool, yeah. man. I'm I'm super excited. All right, it's fantastic. Good job. Yeah, great job, man. Great job. Um, totally get why it's a thing. All right, so this is a big one. I think you know, movie of the year, movie of twenty twenty three, guys. Gary, let's go first. What what do you got? I adored. Oppenheimer. Uh, I don't think that's a particularly edgy take. I thought it was fantastic. I still think about it all the time. A runner-up uh, would probably be Godzilla minus one, and I. It's not close. Like Oppenheimer for sure wins. But what I I wanted to mention Godzilla minus one because there was all this talk of the double feature of Barbenheimer, like see Barbie and see Oppenheimer. Barbie was very good. But honestly, I think the more interesting double feature for lots of reasons on lots of levels is Oppenheimer and Godzilla minus one. So I want to make hashtag Oppenzilla. Come on, like, let's make this a thing. <laughs> Oppenzilla needs to be a thing. It, it actually makes sense. It God makes sense. If you remember that Godzilla is a parable about the whole atomic horror, you know, I mean, it makes sense to chase Oppenheimer 
watch Oppenheimer. It's a serious, interesting, smart movie, beautifully acted, amazing cast. Now chase it with Godzilla minus one, which is, I'm going to say, we'll see how Keith feels. Maybe the best Godzilla movie that's ever been. Okay, I'm done. I like that. I like what that a, tape. We a take we can do Godenheimer or the thing Gary said. I like oh, them both. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, Keith, movie of the year, 2023. Well, until 2 weeks ago, my movie of the year was Oppenheimer. But then I saw Godzilla minus 1. <laughs> oh shit. So, uh so yeah, I I mean what what can I I mean I'm a Godzilla fan so Gary was like I'm interested no to hear Keith's take I think I think it is the I know newsflash you never brought it breaking up. news Not Keith Foster is a Godzilla fan no um, like it it's not just that Godzilla minus here, here's my couple things that I tend to say about Godzilla minus one first of all it's not just that it's the best Godzilla movie ever it's not close. It's it's not it's not even close. Okay, yes, maybe you know the tough thing is here in 2023. How do you buckle yourself into a seat of the perspective of a person that went to see Godzilla 54 in a Japanese theater, right? Like, like it's its story is legendary on no pun intended on how like I mean people cried, people ran out of the theater. This happened in 1954 in Japan as Godzilla smashed like the parliament building. So it's hard for me to buckle into that perspective. But you know what? I was born when I was born. I saw the movies when I saw the movies. And I think Godzilla Minus One is just above and beyond every other Godzilla film ever made. I feel bad for any Godzilla movie that follows it. Was it the uh, the Funkadelics that, that ran out? <laughs> when Parliament was being smashed, that's uh, <laughs> okay. Wow. I was going to say, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, wow. Bootsy. Thank you got you. it, Scott. Bootsy, Bootsy Collins, and Gary Scheider. <laughs> right, <laughs> and that was, gotta get and that the was, fuck out of here. <laughs> that was twenty years of space. Even it took Kennedy you a second because like, of fourteen point six percent. But then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Scott was sitting on it. I had to react to it. So I was um, right. So you know, don't forget to tip your waitresses. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll be here I, all episode. I will say this on Godzilla Minus One. I'm so glad I saw it in the theater. Mm -hmm. I am really, really pleased I saw it in the theater. And now tell me, I mean, again, I'm going to defer to the Godzilla expert, but first of all, it's kind of a remake of the first, in my, mm -hmm. like more than any other Godzilla movie that's ever been. Yep. And I, boy, this is, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. It's 14.6% is giving me the, the confidence to say this. Kind of makes the first one obsolete. Like, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it really is like, you know what? You don't even, where before that one, I would have said, you should watch the first Godzilla. You should watch mm -hmm. Gojira, like all the way back, you know, and just yeah. to get a sense of where it's coming from. I think now I would actually say like you don't you can watch Godzilla minus one and you'll be up you'll be up to speed. You know, yeah. like that is yeah, the beginning yeah. of the whole thing. Yes. I mean I, I think that you know the thing about Godzilla films, especially the Toho films of Godzilla, is that almost is that very few Toho films have ever been in conversation with other Toho films. Mm -hmm. They're all viewed as best viewed as like Elseworlds titles. 
Um, yeah. and, and, and most Godzilla films, the Japanese ones, if they're in dialogue with any other Godzilla film, it's 54. Um, so mm-hmm. for this one, yeah, for it to almost kind of, you know, like historically precede 54 is, uh, is fascinating. So yeah, loved, love Godzilla minus one amazing, but I did want to, I did want to deviate just a little bit here for something else, because I actually created a second category to talk about this because Whoa. it's about the movie you discovered. And it's about a movie you discovered, even if you were really late to the game. And you should, like, let's say there's a movie that that any human being who knows me would have said, Keith, why have you not seen this yet? And I'd be like, I don't know. So I finally saw one of those movies. And my other movie of the year, because I discovered it this year, is Robert Eggers' The Witch. Oh, my God. Which is just preposterously good. Just, Isn't of it course amazing? it's good. I'm late. I'm late to the game. It's yes. unbelievable. It's so good. Yes. I, in fact, um, I all, I wanted to include this with a comic purchase, but it wasn't a comic purchase recently. Um, they made a, a very nice hardbound script book of yes. the witch with mm-hmm. short fiction and with an interview it's showing up in like two days. I can't wait. So yeah. You know, there's new films and then there's a film you discovered. Oh, my God, The Witch was so good. I'm embarrassed that I'm late to the game, but I'm glad I discovered it this year. It's unbelievable. Would I am Woods to thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> would you like to live? De- oh, my God. I am busting that you finally saw it. I'm so delighted. Now you got to see Midsummer. Yes. Because I up. think that. But no, The Witch, just to spend a moment on The Witch. I'm not spoiling it for anyone. When I saw the trailers, I thought, okay, this is going to go in one of two directions. Either it's going to be like a shining cabin fever kind of thing, like really superstitious, stupid people imagining that there's a a witch in the forest, or there is a witch in the forest. Like it's Mm -hmm. one or the other. And in this doesn't really spoil anything. You find out very early on, it's both. It's absolutely both. And it's fantastic. Yes, Fantastic. yes. Fan, uh, un, unbelievable. I mean, yeah, just, just so, so incredible. So yeah, man, is the, yeah, ev- everything about it is good. It's all warranted. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Very nice. Um, yeah, so I need to watch Vivich, um, as Keith talks to me yep. about it. Um, yes, yes, yes. I always just, whenever people are confused, I say the witch and they're like, huh? And I'm like, you know, the Vivich. And then they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I need to check that out. You've talked about that a lot. And you've also talked about my runner up, which is Godzilla minus one. Um, oh. uh, you know, like over our retreat, it was like Keith was very emphatic as we were driving up. Like, look, man, you need to watch this. Um, you know, Gary said he watched it. He hasn't talked about it. I know he's going to talk about it. You got to watch it. And, um, you know, which was interesting because Keith is an apologist for the things that he enjoys. Mm -hmm. And he stated that, look, objectively, Godzilla movies are maybe at best 6.57 on like quality, like this is intriguing, that type of shit. But when you love something, you love something. It gets boosted up, right? So objectively, yeah. 6.57, right? Tops. Yeah. He said, this is a 10. I said, well, okay. He's also it's said, very good. this yeah. leaves the theaters Wednesday. And I'm like, well, yeah. 
I got to figure that shit out because I'm gone, mm-hmm. you know, all weekend. So actually, um, unfortunately, my dog is sick and um, they took him to the vet for the entire day. It was all I could think about. And I'm like, I think I'm going to go just watch this during the day. I'm going to go watch during the I'm by myself. I'm at home. It's all I could do is think about my dog. So let's get my mind off of it for a couple of hours. And, um, you know, went and watched it. I really enjoyed it. So I don't know if my mental state affected my my uh i don't know the um perception of it all like like to the 10 right but also mm-hmm. i've had multiple t- people talk to me about it and so i think it was getting built and built and built and built in my mind i'm like well this is probably going to be my movie of the year everyone is talking about how great this movie is and like even to the point where you know like my best friend like i didn't think he was going to want to watch it because it's a subtitled movie he ain't in, into reading and so i said hey do you want to go watch this movie with me i'm randomly going to go watch it in the middle of the day and he goes i just watched it i didn't know you wanted to watch it i was like i fucking didn't know you wanted to watch it um so yeah. anyway i went by myself he said he cried and and um i was like okay so mentally i had kind of all of this information he says it's a 10 um, my buddy Death and Travis, some accidental aliens, they wouldn't stop talking about it. They said they were going to see it again. Uh, my buddy Andy Belanger was raving about it online. Um, you know, my best friend said he cried during it. So there was this magnificent buildup to this movie. And so I'm waiting for all of these things. I'm like, all right, there's something traumatic going to happen that's going to make me cry. And so some shit goes down. I'm like, okay, well, that's probably it. That's probably what made him cry. All right. I'm going to keep watching. And I like the movie a lot. I thought the movie was really strong. It is definitely the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. And uh, I really enjoyed the story. But it did not displace my movie of the year. And, and so I think it's an attachment thing as well. So starting all that off, Keith is a giant monster fan. Giant Godzilla fan. So there's a, it's an attachment to it. So mine, my, my movie of the year um, was actually guardians of the galaxy three, because I have a large attachment to those characters and yes. it was definitely the most somber of all three movies as a lot of Marvel movie lately are, are very somber, very like, you know, mournful and stuff like that. But this one, I feel like, I feel like, it's stronger. It earns it more because you spent so much time with these characters through the MCU 10 year, you know, uh, you know, end game situation, infinity gauntlet stuff. You've spent so much time with these characters and like as animal lovers, as me and my girlfriend are, my girlfriend hated it by the way, because mm. of the treatment of the animals during the movie and like being an animal lover, like it makes us attached to these characters. So like Mm -hmm. meeting these anthropomorphic cyber animals, you know, you're just like, what the fuck? Oh man, this is so messed up. And when they meet their, you know, spoiler alert for a a six month, maybe longer old movie. um, When they meet their end, you're just like, we knew it was coming because they're not talked about in any other movies and they've been created for this. But when you see their end, it doesn't soften the hurt. 
And, and, you know, and you get that little bit at the end where Rocket sees all of those baby raccoons and he's flashing back to his life. And you're just like, it hits you on multiple levels, not only just as an animal lover, but just like you as a person thinking about shit you went through in your life and how those things affected you. Like it just, there's a parallel there that just, there's so many levels to why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And, and so for me, that is the movie of the year. Um, and, um, you know, for me personally, like it wasn't close. I was like, ah, shit. I was, I was curious. I was curious if, if minus one was going to do it for me in that same level. Now, something else Mm -hmm. Keith mentioned about minus one that I found interesting was he goes, if you remove Godzilla, it's still a really interesting story. And I 100% agree with that. I'm like, yeah, just the, you know, the trauma that that main character is going through in his life, you know, and how it affects him and the decisions that he makes and the decisions that he doesn't make um, makes it so intriguing. So like both movies were very beautiful for their own ways. um, And I just enjoyed both of them. Not to, it's funny because Godzilla minus one is only one of our picks for, or one of us was uh, the picks of the best movie of the year. But I would say that it is, it has something in common with, uh, for example, Berlin, like the you know the book that I've been talking about, and Andor and things like that. It's all the same family where it's like, yes, it's a Godzilla movie, but it's not about Godzilla. It's about mm-hmm. everyone reacting to Godzilla. And I think that is really the magic uh, of this movie. I... I'm what something I trained on that you were talking about, and I fully understand. I do believe it was a little overhyped when I went in. I think everyone was talking about how, like, this is like a made, this is my movie of the year. This is amazing. It's spectacular. Like, I mean, people really talked it up, and I tried to tune that out, but it did kind of set my expectations really high. And even though I loved it, I kind of felt like, you know, it's a very good Godzilla movie. Like it wasn't, you know, it, I, and I think if I hadn't had all that hype, I might've even ranked it higher. So what I would tell yeah. people, you know, who haven't seen it yet, cause I know it hasn't gotten wide release and it hasn't been out a lot. It's very good, but it's a Godzilla movie. Yes. Let's, <laughs> let's tamper your expectations. Yes. Let's, let's like, bring it down. Let's bring it yeah. down. And, and this is like, and this is kind of this is why I don't like to watch trailers. This is how come I don't like people telling me anything about movies. It's like, hey, you go let me watch it and let me react to it, and then yeah. we can see where it is. And and you know and and like and like, look, me and Keith were on a creators retreat. He was fucking hyped. Like I get it. Like this yeah. is his well, main. This is his main shit. So um, well, yeah. So anyway, and 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 in, in fairness too. There was a reason why I like, so we're, we're driving, you know, we're driving around and I tell Scott, I'm like, look, I'm telling you my movie of the year. And the reason I'm telling you is because in four days, it's, it might be out of theaters. So I have no choice, but to tell you, I I, I don't want to surprise you with it. I want to give, so like in, in my particular case, it's like, I don't care that I overhyped it. Like, Sure, it's not your movie of the year. It was it was fucking runner up for both of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like no, it's like, great. That, yeah, that says great. a lot. That's and and so so great. like yeah yeah. So it's like you know again, it was one of these things of like I'm just gonna tell you, dude. You, you know, like I, yeah. I'd rather if you don't want to see it, you don't want to see it. Yeah. But that sure as hell beats me telling you about it later, and then you being and like, I missed oh my out. God, on I would have liked to see this in the yeah, theater. Yeah. 
Exactly. The, the, I, okay. 100% agree. Yes, there is there's a middle ground though, because you got too hyped. You got too hyped. I did totally get too. Hyped. You got yeah. too yeah. hyped. You kept telling me things. I said I had to stop you. I said Keith. Yeah, you do. I got it. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch it. So I had. Yeah, yeah. But hey, if anyone knows Keith, like I know Keith, I know I get it. It's all good, man. I was like, yeah. he he. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, Keith loves his shit all the way. So he was just mm-hmm. all the way about it. And look, yes. it is what it is. No, it got, it got my runner up. It totally got my runner mm-hmm. up. And that wasn't close. The difference between yeah. Guardians and this was there was space there. But the between the difference between Godzilla and whatever else the third runner up would have been, I don't even know. I don't even know what that next yeah. thing would have been. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, off the top of my head, I can't even think of what else was in the running this year. Like Oppenheimer mm-hmm. was first, Godzilla minus one was second. And then I yeah. was kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Like I would really have to sit and think about it. So it was. Yep. And I didn't watch Oppenheimer. Was, so, I mean, who who would have mm-hmm. known where that would have been on my scale as well? It was yep. very strong. The other cautionary tale I would like the little, not a cautionary tale, disclaimer I would give people going to see uh, uh, Godzilla minus one. It has an, uh, a live action anime aesthetic when it comes to the acting. So if you've not seen Japanese movies with Japanese actors and a kind of Japanese like acting aesthetic, yeah, it's going to, it's just think picture anime, picture Mm -hmm. anime. Like there's a lot of people screaming their lines. It's a lot of like, you know, like like, very, like there's a cultural gap that you need to kind of calibrate for going in. Once you Mm -hmm. have that though, you'll be fine. Like, I think, but that initially I was like, oh, this is, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it was like, oh, this is very Japanese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, is, they were leaning into who they were, cool that's way. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, I know exactly what you mean. And it's funny because anime has the same effect where there's a character, a lot of the main characters are very, <clears throat> you know, and then everyone's like, hey, take it easy. You know, like yes. they, they mm-hmm. try to balance the main guy, and that's definitely the case here. And and I fucking yes. loved it. As someone that has been leaning into anime lately, I'm just like, I'm fucking for it. Um, hold yeah. on, Keith, no, you're gonna great. edit. It's oh, go ahead, go ahead. Hands down, the best Godzilla. I, I mean, I, I think to me, at least from my taste, because before I walked into this, my favorite Godzilla movies were the original, and actually 2014, uh, because I felt like that's the mood I want. Like, I want that kind of tone, and uh, this one delivered. Like, that nailed that kind of tone I want in a Godzilla movie. So, yeah, I have uh, – this is, uh, by the way, the the listeners at home are not seeing uh, this, but I have a new Mac fuck? Studio display, oh, and I found yeah. it will do – yeah, that's I saw fun. the I, was I like, saw the heart. Oh, thing my shit you. does that, too. Well, yours does it, too. That? Mine doesn't. That's amazing. Use a heart. Use yeah. a heart. That's very exciting. Look at this. Oh fuck it. You're metal as fuck. Okay. This is great audio, by the way. All right. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of shit (laughs) popping up on the screen when we're doing different. We will we oh yeah, yeah. We may not even record the video on this. Yeah, you guys aren't seeing this. We're we're old fucks and we're super excited about it. Um so but if you have Instagram, you already know. Um so I did a subcategory of this and I probably should have done this one first. And so if you guys have one of these as well, that's cool. If not, no big deal. We'll move on straight away afterwards. I actually have animated movie 
Um, and my animated movie of the year was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is Spider-Man Across uh, Spider-Verse 2, um, more or less. And so I thought that was fucking killer. I th- thought it kept with the tradition of innovative animation in the way that the first one did, but in a completely different way, because this one focused more on Gwen. And um, something they were doing with her scenes is it was very painter. Like, so she's like an artist, a drummer, like, you know, she's in a band and all this shit. So like every time her scenes would come up, the, the backgrounds would be very painterly and almost moving and dripping. And, and so like, there was a lot going on there that was just visually stimulating and just different, completely different than anything else you've seen in other animes. And um, the runner up for that category for me was the TMNT movie. Now that one, one is kind of like there's an asterisk because there was a lot of pop culture reference to it which is very dated in the time that it was released so i'm curious to watch that movie five five years from now to see if all of those things hold up and if they do they do if not it's just like okay it was definitely cool for the time and it it definitely uh, invokes the across the spider-verse anime style where they're just trying some shit to see what it looks like and, and i think both of those movies were really awesome uh, do you guys got any anime uh, or I mean like animation? Nothing. Okay. All right. So we're going to, yeah. all right. So we're going to go to the next one, which is games, the game of the year. Um, now this wasn't specific, so this could be either or, so this could be a video game or a board game or a card game, whatever, whatever you're into. Um, cause honestly, I don't play video games. So the only way I can be involved is the other shit that I just made up. So, uh, Gary, we're going to go to you first. Uh, what is your game of the year? Uh, so this is a game again, it did not come out this year, but I sat and played it this year. I had finished drawing D versus M 1979. I was taking a break before I started working on the script for D versus M 2001. And I picked up, uh, this game persona five Royal, uh, people who are into persona. Is, it, is that an anime? Yes, it's okay. very, it's it's a, like Godzilla minus one, very Japanese. So here's mm. this, the shorthand premise. Uh, by day, you're a high school student in a Japanese high school with Japanese high schooler friends. And you do just Japanese high school life things. You go to parties, you get girlfriends, you just like travel the town, you do, you study for tests and exams and things. It's very, very high school. And then at night, you can shift yourself and your friends into this kind of funhouse mirror version of Japan where there are spirits and demons and everything roaming the streets. And there are figures like, for example, the evil volleyball coach at school. He is a, he becomes like this strange kind of demonic figure in this alternate reality. It sounds goofy as hell i'm not doing it justice it's very hard to do justice to i can tell you i picked up this game i had heard for years that this is the best japanese rpg japanese style rpg that's ever been Mm. and i and i love role-playing games so i was like well i want to give this a shot i remember i played this for a day or two and i told my girlfriend like uh i think i can imagine a younger version of myself getting really into this but I just don't think I have the time to go down this rabbit hole. Maybe a day later, I was fully in. It was ridiculous how hard I fell into this game, where I was making girlfriends in this game and feeling guilty that I was cheating on the other girl. I was fully <laughs> like, oh, you know, finals are coming up, and I don't know if my character has studied enough. 
Like, I mean, I was so into this game. It totally lives up to its reputation. If you're into video games, if you love Japanese role-playing games, check out Persona 5 if you haven't. It lives up to the hype. It is fantastic. It has a beautiful art style, and it is it is crack cocaine of uh, video games. I burned 80 hours on it, no problem. And I finished it, and I was wanting more. It was terrible. So I was kind of happy to be done. I actually remember the weekend I finished it, I was like, I'm going to finish this game because I have to walk away. Like, I'm going to sit and kill the last boss because I need to be done. So that's my game. What what uh, system are you playing that on? I'm playing it on the uh, Xbox Series X, but it's available for any of them. You can okay. get it on the Switch. You can get it on the uh, PlayStation, whatever. Cool, cool, cool. All right, Keith, game of the year. What do you got, buddy? Hey, I bought a Nintendo Switch. Gary ended up guessing this because I didn't buy that many games when I bought the Nintendo Switch. But one of the reasons I bought the Nintendo Switch is because I cannot play 3D scrolling games. They make me nauseous. They just mess with my equilibrium. And one of the reasons that I bought the Switch was because it has a killer array of uh, 2D scrollers. And the one 2D scroller that I bought in addition to the other stuff was Cuphead. And the reason I bought it was because it is gorgeous. Cuphead is like playing an underground 1935 cartoon. It is creepy. It is freaky. And after I started playing it, I also found out it's real fucking hard. So like I'm playing it. And I, I don't want to tell too many stories, but basically it was just a litany of people like, oh, Keith, you got a switch, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, what are you playing? I'm like, Cuphead. And they're like, oh, man, that game's so goddamn hard. You know, so I'm like, <laughs> shit, it, it made me feel better, though, because I was like, do I suck? Did I lose all my video game touch that I had developed as as like part of the first generation of people that grew up with video games? But no, I didn't lose my touch. The game's insanely hard. So unbelievable you you can survive the fact that you're getting trashed repeatedly because it's gorgeous it's just so unbelievable to play to look at to experience so i'm still slowly working my way through it because you know i can kind of measure my video game intake unbelievable yeah i have to tell anybody like if you're listening to this podcast you care on some level about art doesn't matter if you don't care about video games even if you hate video games even if you don't want to play a video game fine totally cool Go to YouTube and load up a playthrough, a long play playthrough of Cuphead. The art is fantastic. Hand-drawn animation, the likes of which you've never seen. And mm -hmm. it, it is really an astonishing artistic accomplishment. And it's another example of a creator who's just believing in their vision. These people who made Cuphead, it's a very small team. They mortgaged their house at some point, thinking like like just to like finish the development of this game. Shit. No guarantee this was ever going to pay off. No guarantee there'd mm -hmm. ever be some audience for this. And then just to go for like the crazy Leia, like they were like, oh, you know what? Let's make it the most difficult game. <laughs> like yeah. you would think you would say like, let's make it really accessible so everyone can enjoy mm -hmm. it so we can get our money back. No, 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 no. Yeah. Let's make it Nintendo hard and let's really, yeah. really crush people's. Yeah, it's, it's, the art is beautiful though. You don't have to yep. be a video gamer. Like load up yep. a YouTube of this game. 
Nice. Yep. Um, and I, I would think Gary's runner-up would be that nice little Black Friday package he got himself, which was the oh. um, Marvel versus Capcom system. And um, <laughs> you know, I saw something just to just to in, in interject myself into the video games. There was an ad where it looked like a PlayStation style remote, and it was like something that you linked up with your TV, and it had three hundred games or some shit. And there was definitely like Marvel, Capcom, and those games in it. I'm like, that's something. And I kind of had to like <laughs> go, don't look into that. Because yeah. there goes hours of your life that you won't get back. Like, so um, every time I think of that, I'm going to punch myself in the face. Yeah. So <laughs> right. it's like uh, I, I don't I don't play video games because I get addicted to them. So the games that I'm going to talk about is a board game which is really fun. It's called Sequence. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the pod, and it's essentially Connect Five with teams. So you have mm. every single face card um, doubled up. So you have two of every single face card, or every card, every card in the deck. There's two of them on the board. Now, you everyone in, you you pick teams. So like like let's say there's um, six people, right? So you have two teams of three. Now you have to pay attention. Red team, blue team, right? So you have to pay attention to the 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 things your teammates are laying down and what's in that area. So you get a hand of. I believe five or it's dependent on how many people are playing. You can play up until like, I think four per team or something like that. But the more people that are playing, the less cards you get. And with those cards, you have to try to connect five. It is a fantastic game. Um, Unfortunately, the original uh, board that you get is somewhere the size of two comic books. So if you spread a comic book out flat, that's essentially the size of the board, and that's the size of the cards. So I hope you guys have great vision and like can see from a distance because the the, the original deck is so so tiny. However, my brother-in-law is very clever, and so what he did was he took he he did a little home craft thing, and he got cardboard the cardboard you would get at school, right like if you're gonna do a presentation or something, he went and got a piece of that and he followed the pattern of the original deck and he glued standard size cards to the board and so he had a giant version of it, which was helpful for our very old eyes and so it's a game that me and my family love to play uh, it gets very competitive there's no table talk. You just have to pay attention. You have to make sure you're paying attention or else you're going to fuck your team over. And so like my family, to know them is to know that everyone in my family are very competitive at everything. So it's kind of like, hey, pay the fuck attention. This is the card I'm putting down. You know, it gets a little aggressive at times. Um, And because there's usually a penalty for losing at this game. So uh, it's really fun. You guys check it out. Sequence is the name of it. And for a drinking game, my family's gotten into the horse races. Now, what you do is for this one, this one's very simple. You got a deck of cards. You pull out the aces. Everyone picks, and you can play pairs if you want to play teams or something, if more people want to play. You got four, four aces, right? So you can double up. You can triple up per ace. It's like, okay, you know, hey, you're the spade, you're the diamond, you're the queen, you're the, you're the, you know, the, the heart or whatever, right? And along the side is, I think, about eight cards face down, right? And so here's how the horse race goes. The rest of the cards are in a deck. You take the top card, you flip it down. 
whatever that suit is, that ace moves forward. The goal is to get to the end of the board, you win, right? So when, so like I said, you have cards along the side. When all of the aces move past that row, you flip that card. Whatever suit that is, that card moves back. So you can fuck yourself over. So if you if it's, all right, the ace is in the lead, and then you flip that card when everyone passes that row, if it's an ace, the ace has to move back. So it's a real fun drinking game because you can get fucked up super fast. Really enjoyable. A lot of people can play. Um, and the, the most messed up part, it's all luck. It's all luck. There's no skill yeah. involved. It's just luck, and it's just a fun game to play. So um, if you guys yeah. like We are covering all the bases here on Making Comics. Yeah, man. Yeah, 100% all the bases. You guys got you the You know, another way games. to get fucked up real fast is to drink a Goose Island 14.6% uh, bourbon barrel-aged ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then chase it with bourbon. Yeah, I, tra- <laughs> I, I, would do it. I chased it that with a Charles Barkley 9.8. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, you know. All right, that's what we're doing here. Fuck high school Gary. He yeah. doesn't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Let's take a shoot. What does he know anyway? Yeah. All right. Moving to podcast. So podcast of the year. Uh, Gary, you go first. You know what? Uh, I swear to God, this is not just to uh, shine you guys. I was thinking about the only podcast that I download every week religiously is making comics the five star experience of making comics i and i'm not just saying that i was looking at what are my favorite podcasts and there are a lot but there are a lot of them that also sometimes i'll skip a week i'll look at whoever the guest is or whatever it is and i'll be like "Eh, i don't care this week and i'll move on whether it's like mark maron's wtf i love that I like mm-hmm. Preet Bharara's uh, Stay Tuned. Like I, you know, There's a bunch of podcasts I listen to, but I don't download them every week. I download Making Comics every single week, and it would be crazy not to name it. So Hell not yeah. to embarrass you guys, it is my favorite podcast of the year. We love that. Thank you so I, much. We've had... Um, very our, nice. Yeah, we've had some people share their... The, like, we're at the top of their list as well. Like, there was a couple of guys mm-hmm. that we were their number one and uh, a few that were in their top five and they shared that on their social media. So everyone that did that, we appreciate you guys, Gary, thank you so much. Um, you know, we, we have fun doing this, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, there's so many different reasons why I love doing this podcast and I hope we never stop. Um, number one, it holds me accountable. Like every week I have to come up with shit that I did. And the only reason by the only reason you can, or the only way you can do that is by actually doing the shit. So, you mm-hmm. know, it keeps me accountable for the re- the weekly work I do. Um, me and Keith, like, like we're fast friends. Like we're like, we're so close now. Like we were good friends before this podcast. We're even closer now. So it was mm-hmm. like the gift of creating comics and talking every week has made us closer, which is amazing. And it's just fucking fun to do. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we just got to bullshit and we we talk about whatever we want to talk and yeah, we formatted it so we can do that but and like make it more accessible for everyone, but there's nothing on the podcast that we shy away from. It's like we are mm-hmm. who we are and you guys got to hear it every week and and it whether you like all of us or parts of us, hey, guess what? We got a time timestamp. You can figure that out. Yeah. Hey, we don't like drinking Scott and Keith. Okay. Well, you can skip past that. You know, like there's a yeah. timestamp for that. And if you like, um, if you don't care about the stuff we do every week, which is wild to me because it's the majority of the podcast, but, um, and you, right. you just want the main topic, you can get that, you know, if you want to skip mm-hmm. the bullshit, you can skip the bullshit. So, um, you know, we yep. appreciate that for sure. 
Yep. Word up. I mean, a, a quick addendum, which is, yeah, I mean, Scott brought it up, but like, I think the fact that both of us sort of have this blind accountability to the other person without knowing what the other person is doing, you know, like uh, n- neither of us are competitive. Like I want to outdo him, but we're, yeah. we're competitive in the sense that like Scott's probably doing a lot of shit. So I'd better stay on my stuff. Right. Like right. if Scott is doing stuff, I need to stay on my stuff because I need things to talk about. So it, it's it's that level of accountability where like we have a competitive, you know, you're you're you, I don't think I don't know if it's competitive in this case as much as it's just I want to keep doing stuff. Yeah. I wanna have I don't, things to I, talk don't about. I definitely I don't do feel things, right. Yeah, I definitely don't feel competitive with you. And no, it's just totally. a matter of it's it's a matter of having things to talk about for sure. And mm-hmm. like Absolutely. like like and I, and I hundred percent what you're talking understand what you're talking about because it's like I think the same thing. It's like oh fuck, how much shit is Keith getting done, you know? And it's not to try to beat you, but it's like he's going to have a lot to say, so I'm going to need to have a lot to say. Like that's essentially mm-hmm. all it is. And like Absolutely. I think the nature of who we are as people, we're just productive people in general. And mm-hmm. like to stay on focus is, is a great thing. And, you know, like we've had many listeners email us and talk about like, Hey, listening to the, the amount of shit you guys do every week. It's like, it's cool. It's upsetting at the same time, but it also makes me go, well, you got to get off your ass. Cause these guys are doing this every week. And, and it's like, yeah, totally. we're not fucking around. It's not bullshit. Like mm-hmm. we're telling you the truth. Like as indie guys, this is what we're doing every week to, to get our books out and be part of the community. And like, you know, make a show and make something of ourselves on top of it. So yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Keith. Absolutely. Hey, so, what is yeah, your, uh, what is your podcast of the year? Yes. Uh, so mine is, um, one, one that I listen to a fair amount is plain English with Derek Thompson. Um, that is a, it's sort of a news current events. It definitely focuses, it skews a little bit more toward the tech stuff, but it, it just, it comes off like a very great nonfiction book. Derek Thompson is a dude who writes for, I think, The Atlantic. And he he talks about this in, in, I think it's in like the first episode and in some of it. He's the kind of person that views intelligence as the ability to take complex ideas and and speak about them simply, dot, 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 in plain English. And to me, that is the ultimate definition of intelligence. It's why I love listening to him. He has guests on that know what they're talking about. And uh, it's it's just a great listen. I don't listen to every episode because it has to be about some stuff that I'm interested in. But you can find out all kinds of great spins on current events, just all kinds of stuff. So if it's, if it's the kind of thing that interests you, go check out their archives, find something that you're curious about, and then go for it. I love it. Great nonfiction podcast. And again, there's nothing better than someone taking complex ideas and and using nothing but like sixth, seventh grade language to convey all that stuff and drive a point home. Love it. Nice. Yeah. I just wrote that down. I'll check that out. Um, I'm looking for new podcasts. Like, you know, um, you know, Keith, talk, Keith and I talk about this in private where like we look at our numbers and we see how many new listeners we get. And, and like, there's something there. And, and I, I talked to Keith about like, there's podcasts that I love, but over amount of times you lose people because it's like, I love these guys, but I think I've heard enough of what they have to say. And so there's many a podcast that I fall off of. That's like, I love these guys, but you know, like I listen to a lot of, uh, st- uh, uh, standup comedians and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't like their specials now because a lot of their shit, they talk about 
on the podcasts. And so to me, it's not fresh. And I'm like, but I don't like that. I'd rather have a really nice like stand up to listen to as opposed to listening to them every week, kind of like roughly talk about the same shit. And so I've mm-hmm. dropped off a lot of them. The only ones I have, the only one I have not dropped off of is blocks. And, um, um, that one is a really good one. It's essentially, um, uh, uh famous people or famous comedians or fa- or, or like famous actors, um, talking about their blocks and the blocks are, um, their not their hangups, but kind of like their hangups, their issues. There's things that trouble them in life, and like it's it's really great to listen to. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to uh, Neil Brennan. Thank you. I was like I was like going through my brain. I'm like, who's the host of that? Neil Brennan, fantastic comedian. And so mm-hmm. a, a lot of the first season are all comedians talking about their issues, shit, shit that they have problems with in life and like their blocks. It's like their mental blocks essentially. And, um, so it's great. It's, it's funny. Um, it's in depth. You get to know about these people a little deeper than you do the surface level. And, um, you know, he's expanding, he's getting more famous people that are not comedians to do it. And it's so interesting because you just, you kind of learn about their personal lives and shit that you would just never know unless they started talking about him. And he has so many, (laughs) this sounds fucked up. He has so many issues that he can relate to what they're saying and they feel more comfortable opening up Mm -hmm. to him. And, and like, so you're getting more than I think you would in a normal interview. And uh, it's just a fascinating podcast. So you guys check that out. Um, that is a very good one. I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Sounds I didn't, awesome. I didn't know you listened to that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go to book, uh, the book of the year. So the pros, um, not, not comic books, but, uh, actual books. Um, I do not listen or I do not listen or read to books. Um, that are not comic books because I am who I am. And so Keith, uh, oh, Gary, Gary, go ahead, go first. So what are you, what is your pro book? Okay. Well, anyone who's followed me on, uh, YouTube would, this is not going to be a big surprise or anyone who's talked to me in like, you know, private life, uh, the creative act, a way of being by Rick Rubin. Uh, I had kind of forgotten that I had first encountered it is because it came out early in the year. There we go. There we go. Keith's Keith's giving me the heart. Um, Technology, baby. It came out early in the year and I had kind of forgotten about it. And I had spent after we talked about these are the categories. I spent uh, a few weeks like, I don't know. I don't know. And like thinking about books I'd read and I'm like, I'm not sure. And it just about a week ago occurred to me like, oh, my God, I read this early in the year. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like hyperbole, but it's real. I think the book changed my life. I have become a Jehovah's Witness for this <laughs> book where I want to knock on people's doors and say, are you a creative? <laughs> well done. Have you accepted Rick Rubin as your personal Lord and Savior? Because mm-hmm. I think it is that good. I think any yeah. artist of any type, drawing, painting, musician, whatever, whatever your thing is, writer, doesn't matter can benefit from this book it's really i think uh what's it called i'm sorry it's the creative act creative act a way of being uh, by rick rubin rick rubin uh who i knew most before this knew most of all from the beastie boys uh Mm -hmm. not, not as part of the band but a producer um it just basically 
it's it's i don't know maybe a little new agey i know keith has read it like i don't know how he would describe it but it's a little my runner-up the mentality the the ideal mentality of an artist going into creating their work which uh and now some of this i've confessed to people is vaguely narcissistic part of what i loved about the book is i agree with him 100 percent You know, I think he has the right attitude and the right approach to this is the ideal creative, the the ideal mental and emotional state to be in when you're making art. These are the Mm -hmm. ideal things to keep as your priorities and the things to not think about. I I just agree 100%. I think it's a beautifully written book. It's also a book that you don't have to sit and read through this beginning to end, whatever it is. I'm guessing it's probably 350 pages or something. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a lot of little chunks uh, and you can just open it wherever you want. It's broken up by sort of topic, but you can mm-hmm. open it wherever you want. You can read a page or two and get some inspiration or get some reassurance or get some direction and set it aside. You don't have to necessarily open it and read it beginning to end. I thought it's a uh, an incredible work. If you've seen Rick Rubin interviewed talking about his process uh, he's a very interesting guy. He's very encouraging. He's just uh, Cliff's Notes version. He's a creative guru <laughs> more than anything else. Uh, he's the guy you would want behind you when you're working, kind of you know keeping you in the right state of mind. So I loved it, and I recommend it to anyone who's any kind of a creative. Just rubbing your shoulders. Yeah, totally. Breathing on your neck. That's right. Totally. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. A little known yeah. fact. Exactly. Uh, yeah. A little you know, known fact. Maybe a little of, nibble. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like yeah. what's good for you is what's good for him. And a little known fact, yeah. a cousin of Paul Rubin, Pee Wee Herman. So, hey. All right. Um, you know, ta- like you talking about it, Keith talking about it. I've gotten many a quote from Keith definitely and mentions just in the episodes about this book. And, and you mm-hmm. know, so it's definitely on the list. Um, I do need to read it. I love the fact that you can just pop it open wherever, get a couple of pages of inspiration, put it back down. And uh, that's the kind of shit that I'm into for sure. So yeah, picking that book up for yeah. sure. I, I think I think it would be a great fit for you, Scott. Um, so my addendum to Gary's, which is my runner up. In fact, I keep it on the shelf over there. It, you know, like I keep, I keep a dictionary and a thesaurus right there. Like I can lean over and grab them but the creative act is right here so I can consult it whenever I, I wouldn't. The only caveat is I wouldn't recommend the creative act for someone just starting out in their creative journey, but I would absolutely recommend it for anyone who has been doing it for just a little while and sort of needs a refocusing or refresh, a new way to do stuff. So yeah, also a super high recommendation. I loved it. Um, it is not my book of the year, my book of the year. And it's kind of a random thing. I, I was I always consult book lists on some fiction that I can read. And this book really took me. I'm like, that sounds like an interesting premise. I'm gonna read it. Well, like three days later, it won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Yeah. And it is Trust by Hernan Diaz. So this is again, it it just won the Pulitzer. It is a brilliant story um, that takes place in the 1920s, uh, sort of following a financial tycoon and it's told in three parts and what's to me what's so great about it is that it is a puzzle 
And that as you go through each part, the puzzle clarifies to the incredibly cool climactic end. So, you know, if if you're if you're into like fiction, it, it's not too highfalutin. It's just good, you know. So loved it. Um yeah. I mean, I I didn't this was, you know, when I looked back at all the fiction I read this year, there's a lot of me mediocre to below mediocre stuff that I just took chances on and didn't work out right. So this did not have to nudge out a whole lot of competition. <laughs> but uh but yeah, Rick Rubin's book was fantastic as a nonfiction, but in terms of fiction, trust by Hernan Diaz. Heck yeah. All right, so we are going to YouTube show of the year. Gary. So this is I so the channels I follow on YouTube are pretty random. Uh, I remember last year, I don't think we talked about it, but my favorite YouTube channel was uh, about uh, it's a guy who removes hornet nests and he just <laughs> films like, oh, here's a hornet nest and how he vacuums them up with his shop vac and pulls them out of like drywall. Like I just love that. Mesmerizing. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. so this year it's it's kind of similar to that. The channel is Steve1989MREinfo. Uh, this guy taste tests MREs, like so military rations. He finds military rations, some of them current, some of them old, some of them very old. Like he's he's taste testing like World War II rations and stuff. <laughs> as long as he gets a sense that they're not going to give him botulism or something, he gives them a try. But he, uh, it's funny how this guy has made a little side career for himself where you can tell he's got a lot of subscribers and he has these little catchphrases he does where every time he opens like a vacuum seal thing, he's like, he'll pop it and you'll hear the hiss of the air going in. He'll be like, Ooh, nice hiss. He does it like every time. And you can tell people in the chat, like the comments are kind of like, Ooh, nice hiss. Like they're in. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every time he's like, he unpacks an MRE, he's like, let's get this out on a tray. And then he has like one of those steel military trays with all the little, like a cafeteria tray. And once it's all parted out on the tray, he always goes, nice. And every time, like in the comments, people are like, nice. Like they, it's hilarious <laughs> like on cue. This is a, Yeah. And it's a thing. He's made a thing. And I have to admit, I sit, every time I see a new uh, Steve 1989 MRE info video, I'm like, oh, add to watch later. Because I'm very excited. Like, oh, he has a weird Scandinavian MRE he's going to try. I want to know about that. And it's like, oh, you know, this freeze-dried meatball. Like, how is it? I Totally mesmerizing. Totally compelling. I love it. That's it's awesome. It's nice. so fucking random. It's crazy. I, I don't yeah, really... really yeah. I don't... To me, this is what the internet was supposed to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was supposed to be sharing these weird things that a big network, a big gatekeeper, would never have found worthy it should not have been horrible, corrosive conspiracy theories and people like arguing with each other. It should have been, mm -hmm. here's a weird niche thing, you know, that you might have fun watching. And I love, it. I love, it. I used yeah. to watch this one girl open shit. That was it. Like she would open things. Um, her and her boyfriend would go to, they're Australian. They're kind of like coupon cutters. I guess. And so they would kind of find shit that they can get for free. And they're like, Hey, check out all the shit we get for free. And they would open it and they would try it. And it was just so interesting. And I could not figure out why. 
and I watched mm-hmm. her for the longest time, and then she kind of just stopped making videos. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not following her anymore. But uh, in, in that time, I did enjoy it. So that is so random. I do appreciate that. I have uh, I have a tendency to not really follow anything that's not in my major interest, which is usually comic books or, uh, or or NBA or something like that. So that's great that you just find these random things that you start watching and and uh, you know. Uh, just dive into them so that's that's fantastic all right Keith. i have just okay. shared the channel in our group chat so you did what I now you guys at least check it yeah. out and it, cool. it, there's something mesmerizing perfect i will definitely nice. watch an episode or two there was a there was yeah. a time where me and my girlfriend would go to bed um and and like we'd watch shit on youtube right or just like funny videos and she goes well how would you try to get to sleep before and i'm like i watch people clean there's something about watching people clean that makes me very tired and it's very soothing. And then there was a channel, I forgot the name of the channel, where a guy cleans shoes. He just shines shoes. And there's something about it that was mesmerizing mesmerizing because not only are the shoes super fucked up when he first gets them and they're polished and clean when he's done, but the sound of it and the repetition just kind of like it kind of puts you in a mood and it kind of knocks you out. That's another one that my runner up was a guy. I don't remember the channel name. So apparently animals with hooves, like cows and things, they can get these weird sort of voids in the, the keratin of their hoof. Mm. Like, so their, their hooves are basically like our fingernails and they can get these weird voids that can fill with it's gross, but like pus and things. And it makes them not want to favor that leg. And this guy's whole job is to go out and grind and polish their hooves and release those problems. And he has a channel showing this. It's my number two favorite. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah, I've seen something like that where they like dig the dirt out of horse horseshoes and like yes. clean it up and stuff. Um, okay. Sorry. We can't linger on this too long. We're at like an hour 48. We got two hours. So Keith, <laughs> yeah, what is your YouTube? Satisfying. So I, yes. we have yeah. um, one, two three, four more categories. So we're going to bang through these as fast as possible. Sure. By the way, if we get worried about time, we can switch to mine and I would be happy to record a little bit and we can. Oh, okay. Yeah. If we lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know uh, we we could probably use with a constraint at this point. Yeah. 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 All right. Keith, the YouTube show of the year. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll try to be a little condensed that because I know you guys watch stuff on YouTube. I forced myself to find some YouTube channels. I liked and, uh, and so I found an edge. So my thing is like, but I want to learn. And I found a channel called Kurzgesagt, which is, um, it is very cool animation, almost in like a child block way of really cool scientific things. So like, what would it be like if you fell through a black hole? What would it be like, like black, you know, like, like dark matter radiation, what would it be like if uh, what one was a kind of sort of a moment by moment reca- retelling of the death comet hitting the earth that extinguished the dinosaurs? So it's riveting to watch. It's like this cool, funky animation that, again, feels like it's sort of out of these almost childlike play toys. And uh, it's great. So Kurzgesagt, um, super fun you know, like 10, 12 minutes at a time. Like I think a lot of the YouTube stuff I like, you can just sit through one dose and then save it for the next time I've subscribed. It's great. It's educational and it's also cool at the same time. And as a, you know, as a writer, I like to fill my brain with things because you never know where it's going to happen, you know, what's going to come out. So oh, yeah. really, really fun. Cool. And also I learn a little bit. 
Yeah, throw the, nice. throw that in the group chat too. I'm I'm interested in checking. Sure, out sure. That. I'll I'll look it up right now. Okay, yes. and then uh, my YouTube show is um uh, I mean the host of it or the the channel name is Matt with four T's, M A T T T T. Um, he does uh, kind of like a comics history thing where he takes one subject matter, one topic, and he deep dives into it and kind of gives the history of it. And so it's really good. I think. Um, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if I talked about this last year, but Comic Jerk um, or uh, Jerk Comics, he does a very similar thing, and both of them are quite good. So uh, they give you a deep dive his- historical stuff. Like uh, Comic Jerk loves Max, the comic book, and he has like a three or four parter, and it's everything about Sam Keith and like what he was going through essentially mentally when he was doing these things, like the, the bad deals he made and like how he's being taken advantage is just crazy. And uh, a Matt with four T's essentially does the same thing. It's a little cleaner. It's a little more precise. Um, whereas comic jerk will do three or four episodes on one topic. Like he'll do one solid one. And um, that's like, he gives you the most condensed, but a lot of information all at once. So um, if you guys are into that, check that out. Um, and then we're going to move to, the TV shows, um, Gary, TV show, TV show of 2023. Uh, la- the Last of Us. I was really, really, really impressed with The Last of Us. I wasn't excited about it. I thought, you know, I don't need another video game adapted to a TV show or a movie. Extraordinarily well done. Very good writing. Very good performances. Uh, I was really blown away by it. Close second place would be Beef. Uh, if anyone saw Beef, it was fantastic and hilarious. Uh, so just check it out. But Last of Us is my pick. I really enjoyed that series. I completely forgot that that was this year. And uh, so I would say that would probably be my backup. Yeah, that my runner up for sure. I really enjoyed that that series as well. Uh, Keith, um, TV show. No, for me, here. it's. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Bodies. Um, that's actually a TV show on Netflix adapted from a vertigo novel, a uh, graphic novel that um, the premise is you follow detectors, uh, detectors, detectives, in I guess it's London, London detectives in four different time frames. So 1890, 1940, the present day and 2053. And all of those detectives find the exact same body in an alley. And it's all tied together. So abs like riveting. Um, I think I was, it happened at a time where I was just trying to find cool stuff for my wife and I to watch. Cause I want to try to not be as picky about the things I watch and just try more stuff. And then it was like bodies as a match for you. So I started to watch it, loved it, told my wife like, Hey, you should really watch this with me. And she was like, Oh, I don't know. And then we ended up watching the whole thing. So awesome. Just cool, just a, a really awesome show. So I, I loved it and and would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I back Gary. Going back to you real quick, um, uh, as far as The Last of Us goes, anyone else that doesn't know what it's about, it's essentially like The Walking Dead with um, vegetable head people. So people that mm-hmm. are like getting this virus. It's it's um it's like a like a real world virus where there's there's essentially like this plant base that implants like this particles into like ants and essentially eats their brain and kind of controls the a body. Fungus. Yeah, yeah, the fungus, Cord- the fungus. Cordyceps. I'm sorry. Yes, right. cordyceps. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and so it essentially starts controlling ants and making the ants do stuff, and they're kind of like zombie ants. But these cordyceps are doing them with people. 
And so it's really fucked up. It's really enjoyable. So check that out. Um, my show or TV show of the year is also Bodies. This was a recommendation from Keith. He said to check this out. I absolutely loved it. Gary, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch it. It just I guess I got to check it out. Got to. Yeah. It pulls you in. Um, me and my girlfriend. It was like watching. It was like the same uh, effect Sandman had on us. It was like fuck that was really good but let's save the next episode like let's let's cherish this let's like slow this down and make sure we're really pulling it in and kind of like thinking about the episode you know what i mean it's not something you want to just chain react like watch the next watch the next you don't want to you don't want to do that you or at least we don't we really want to absorb the episode and appreciate it and then move to the next one um my cartoon slash anime TV show of the year is My Hero Academia. So I was watching this show prior. I was three seasons behind and I caught up on the three seasons and I am uh, obsessed with it. I'm like, God damn, I forgot how good the show is. So if you're into anime or trying to want to give anime a try, My Hero Academia is fantastic. There's six seasons of it, um, but they're half hour shows. But anime style, it's like 15 to 20 minutes because you have a crazy long intro. You have a crazy long outro with recaps. And then so essentially you get 15 minutes of fresh anime. And, um, you know, like it's it's fantastic. It's a superhero school, essentially. It's a world with everyone has they're called corks, but essentially everyone has superpowers. A lot of people have superpowers. The majority of the world does. A lot become superheroes, a lot become supervillains, so they teach you to be superheroes in order to prevent you from becoming villains, and uh, you kind of, like, live in that world. So it's a bunch of students trying to figure out their shit, and it's really cool. Um, okay, so we're going to bands or slash music of the year. Uh, Gary, band slash music of the year. Or well, musician. okay, so I... Uh... I can't really listen to lyrics when I'm writing. And this year has been a writing year. So I actually have been listening. I favor soundtracks and scores and things when I'm doing that. Um, the one that I've gone back to, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this movie. There, there's a bunch of things I've been listening to. And generally when I'm writing a script, I will make a playlist that has music that to me kind of captures the mood. And I'll just let that run while I'm writing. So the one I'm doing, I, there's a bunch on my playlist this year, but the one I'm then leaning on the most is the soundtrack for the movie Ravenous. I don't know if people are familiar with Ravenous. It's a, a kind of a cult classic. I adore the movie and I really love the soundtrack. It's a fantastic soundtrack. Let me make sure I've got the uh, artist right. Uh, hold on here. You'll probably have to edit this out. Okay, here we go. It's Damon Albarn and Michael Nyman are the two composers of this soundtrack. Uh, Ravenous, if you're unfamiliar, it's a movie. It's kind of a black comedy horror movie. Um, it's set on the frontier in probably the late 1800s. It's kind of got a, a, a whiff of the Donner Party. It's this. It's about cannibalism, but the spin on it is that people who partake in cannibalism get all these sort of supernatural powers. They feel revitalized and they're healed of all their ailments and they feel viral and strong and all these kinds of things. Anyway, it's, it's a fun movie. It's a creepy movie. It's a gross movie. It's hilarious. 
has a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, if you want to get a sense of the tone of D versus M 2001, which I'm writing now, I would say listen to the soundtrack of Ravenous, which I've been leaning on heavily. Like it is on heavy rotation as I've been writing. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. All right, Keith, you're up. Band or slash yeah, musician yeah. of I, the year. Yeah, I feel so. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have a tie for band and then an album because I needed to convey all these things. So without uh, this, this probably should come as no surprise. But my tie for band of the year is uh, MF Doom and Miles Davis. And that is because I went on two month benders for each earlier in the year that sort of carried their way through the year. So I talked about it earlier in the year. It still held MF doom is awesome. This, I will remember 2023 as the year that I, that I really fully got into both MF doom and miles Davis. So they tied for, for my artist of the year, Spotify favored MF doom, but my heart, ties mf doom with miles davis um and and in terms of i i had to mention an album of the year because i love this thing it's it's death metal but it's catchy it works and i believe this again 2023 will be the year that we remember uh that frozen soul because that's actually what my shirt says that frozen soul became a major player in the death metal scene. So uh, loved it. Glacial domination by frozen soul. If you like death metal, it's very like arena rock death metal. One of the cool things about them is the lyrics are actually audible. Like, yes, he's sort of, you know, doing it, but you understand every word he says as the lead singer. So anyway, without further ado, that's my shit. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not heavily into music. I don't listen to music all the time. I usually listen to podcasts. So mine is still Blackpink, Band of the Year. Uh, they all signed their Three new contract. Years running. Yeah. yeah. They all renewed their contract, so life is good. Uh, all right. And then Dark Horse of the Year. This is the last last category. So the Dark Horse of the Year is the thing that we didn't think that would potentially be good or knew about or basically it was the surprise of the year. Like, oh, shit, I actually like this. Um, Gary, what is your Dark Horse of the Year? I sat and because people were talking about it, I sat and watched Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves which is uh, a movie that came out. Chris Pine is the lead. Uh, it actually has a very good cast. Hugh Grant is in it of all, you know, and uh, as an, first of all, I had heard that it's just good across the board, but as an old D and D nerd, someone who was into D and D back in high school, I was, I have to admit, kind of delighted the whole way through. I mean, it was terrible for my, uh, girlfriend to watch with me because i was like oh it's an owl bear oh my god they're casting fireball oh my god like i mean like i recognized all this it, there was so many old advanced dungeons and dragons deep cuts in this movie it really felt like fan service for as an audience that i can't imagine really exists in a meaningful <laughs> in a meaningful quantity i was mm -hmm. really impressed and there's even nods a, a few brief nods blink and you miss it to the dungeons and dragons cartoon that used to be oh, on where if you see it you're like oh my god that's i actually but even apart from that even if you didn't play dungeons and dragons even if you don't know anything about it it's a really fun movie with some surprisingly good special effects then i was entertained the whole way i was never bored uh it has a good cast it has fair writing it's good effects like it was really enjoyable i was shocked 
Hell yeah. I saw the trailer to that and I thought it looked terrible. So I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, Keith, you're Dark Horse of the Year. I kind of have a tie for Dark Horse of the Year and I've already talked about both of them. I didn't expect to, to I didn't even know about Bodies. So Bodies as a TV show has to be tied for Dark Horse of the Year. As And, and I didn't expect Godzilla Minus One to be anything more than like a standard Godzilla movie. So for me, it's like I've already mentioned both of my Dark Horses of the Year. They made my favorites of the year and both of them came out of nowhere. So yeah, man, lo- loved them both and, and happy that I found them. That's fucking crazy. Um, so mine is the Marvels. I expected nothing from this movie. I thought it was going to be another ho-hum. I enjoyed all of it. Now, there's nothing groundbreaking about it, but I enjoyed watching the movie. I was like, that was a really fun time. I had a real good time with that. And honestly, that's more than what I expected out of it. So, um, you know, like the MCU has a had a couple of rough ones. Um, and in, in, in uh, I think this is four version four or whatever. So, um, you know, like pleasantly surprised by the Marvels. I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it and I've been, but I've been hearing people say that it's getting a really bad rap. It, that totally it's actually a, a very enjoyable movie. Like despite, I mean, everyone reports on, Oh, the box office is terrible. Whatever. It's you a know, fun but time. People are saying like, it's fun. It's, it's fun. a fun movie. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see it. Yeah. Fun time for sure. Um, I, worth, worth, you know, the ticket price. Like I was like, I really enjoyed that. It was a nice day out of the house or whatever. And, and just got to enjoy some, some fun times. And, you know, like not every comic book you read is Alan Moore. You know what I mean? It's just like, sometimes you just need a fun time and go, yeah, fuck yeah. That was worth my $4 that I paid for it. And, and so whatever I, you know, the 12 bucks I paid for that movie, totally worth it. Good night out with uh, the best friend and the girlfriend. So, um, hell yeah. All right. Hey, so we did it. Um, we got to wrap up here, guys, your beers. So I had St. Bernardus Christmas Ale 9.8. This was surprisingly smooth, but I am, I had drank a 14.6. So I don't know if this was smooth just because I had a 14.6 or because it's just really smooth. So I'm going to give it a 6.5 just because I'm not quite sure. I'll give it a 7. Wait, what did I just say? I can't remember. I'm going to give this a 7 because it's a it's a 9.8, but I didn't feel it at all. It was really smooth, really easy to drink. So St. Bar- St. Bernard's Christmas Ale 9.8, 12 ounces of Belgian. Um, yeah, uh, 7. I think that's what I said. I can't remember. Gary. I uh, I was still I was finishing off a Goose Island uh, bourbon barrel stout. 14.6%. Uh, it is still 100%, a 9 out of 10. It's fantastic beer. But boy, boy, it piles on. Like, it does not seem like a 14.6% beer until you finished it. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I feel it. And I'm feeling it right now. It doesn't fuck around. Keith, beer, no, uh, your beer. First call, Double Oak Bourbon. Um, I should have known this. This is a 6.0. It's very oaky. (laughs) So, hence the name Double Oak. So, I'm not a big, like, oak person. It's a perfectly fine bourbon. I tend to like smoother bourbons as opposed to oak bourbons. But it's fine. I mean, I bought a bottle of it. I ain't going to hate it. 
but I, it also is not kind of in my vein. So perfectly fine. A good oaky bourbon. 6.0. Oh, yeah. Um, I got a quick quote here. There's multiple because this was a great interview. This is from Matt Wagner. The greatest skill an artist could have is to not be satisfied. Next time it'll be better. Next time it'll be better. Matt Wagner. So I thought that one's a really good one um, to knock out. And I have a whole book, a few other ones by him. And that's very similar oh. to a quote Keith and I like. I think that's by, um, well. I'll throw another one at you. Yes, Here please, we go. please. Because it's the end of the year, let's do a couple quotes. Uh, this is by Leonard Bernstein. To achieve great things, two things are needed. A plan and not quite enough time. There you go. That's excellent. Mark Wade. That yeah, was I think it was, I think it was Mark Wade. Yep. Yeah, it was Mark Wade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were muted there. Um, all right, perfect. Yes. Um, hey, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter, Instagram, and threads, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can pick up my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage, Superheroes by Day, Superheroes by Night, Wanderers and Mosanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, Paradise Hills, um, which is in the book Astounding Adventures, a half-Filipino, half-Mexican kid discovering crazy fantastical shit going on in his life while growing up in his neighborhood in paradise hills it's really good um you know as people say gary where can they find you online you can find me on youtube under my name gary hodges or you can find me on instagram under the name of my comic dinosaurs versus marsbots dinosaurs vs marsbots and that has a link tree that'll take you to all the places For example, the Etsy shop where you can buy my book. Hell yeah. Keith. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I'm sharing everything. Just all of it. You you want it, it's there. Boom. And then you can also go to my website at KeithRFoster.com. You can find some pages on my books. And of course, you can order those books. It is animals, dot, 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 get infected with a virus, and now they want to hunt humans. Kadoja, which is giant monsters, meet H.P. Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in space. KeithRFoster.com. Hell yeah. Questions, comments, concerns. You guys really like this episode? Let us know. Uh, MakingComicsPodcast at gmail.com. If you have any advertisements, something you want to bring to the comics world uh hit us up making comics podcast we uh at gmail.com we can advertise you there we'll talk to you about the details of all of that and uh, get you right there at the front of the episode in uh, boosting your project or or your dates or whatever you got going on yeah we are the five star motherfucking experience that's just a fact have you rated us accordingly is the question if you have then thank you if you haven't it's right there waiting for you just like richard marks it's Apple <laughs> Podcasts, and it's Spotify, and it's the five motherfucking star experience. You may not be able to type in the words, but you can sure give the stars. So show some love. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Fuck yeah. All right, we did it. World's best cup of coffee, guys. Yay, yay. Yeah.